our ninth annual question and answer Sunday. Uh, Jonathan, before we jump into the first song, I was thinking about a good passage to set the tone for today. And uh, this morning, this is what I did for my devotion. 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the power of knowing the words of this book, like the practical value for life when people believe all kinds of things, have all kinds of questions and all different answers. I love how this centers us for our meditation and focus today. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture means this whole book is God-breathed. means it didn't come from some denomination, some pastor, some worship leader. came from the heart of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, and therefore, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, my hope is what happens today is that at moments in the service, God teaches you something from his word. You're going to say, huh, I never knew that before. Um, at other times, he's going to rebuke you. You're going to be living like this, and God's going to say, nope, nope, I don't want you to do that. I want you to live over here. He's going to correct you. Maybe you're doing pretty well, but there's just something that needs to be refined about the way you believe or the way you behave. And my prayer is that for all of us, he trains us in righteousness strengthens our faith so that we know that we're right with God through Jesus and we live the right way because of Jesus so that you and I, servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's the goal and the purpose of Q&A Sunday. It's not for you to try to stump me with some random, obscure Bible question I don't know how to answer. It's not for me to try to impress you with how many passages I have memorized. Uh, the goal is that you and I together can open this book and be thoroughly equipped for the life that God wants us to live. So, Jonathan, that's the background, the setting. I don't know what we're going to talk about next, but I think you do. Well, that's going to be determined by the people here today. So I'm excited for that. So if you, hopefully everyone was able to get in and submit questions. I see them coming in. So I'm going to be looking through your questions here. I also have Pastor Michael in the back who's uh, chatting with me. So if you see me up here typing, I'm not checking my emails. I'm getting some work done. <laughs> like the Packer game's on over yeah, there. Like, hey, like, I see if that. If I just randomly like, yeah, <laughs> that's because the word of God is so good. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm going to try and be your voice up here um, and maybe try and ask the question behind the question, maybe try and take a different angle on things mm. as we have the discussion here. I would. What really helps me is if you're in the app or see the questions that have been submitted, there is a place where you can upvote them. There's a little thumb. So if you're scrolling through the questions and you're like, oh, that's a really good one too. I would really love to hear an answer to that. I'll, I'll watch and see which ones are really uh, getting the upvotes and that might help me determine which ones we really should be talking about. So, I appreciate that help. And I have the perfect question to start that was submitted. It's currently, oh, it just got bumped out of the top spot. But we're going to ask it anyway. All right. Is it a sin to be watching the Packer game right now instead of being at church? <laughs> Those people, right? Since you made it to church. <laughs> is it a sin? All right, can I zoom out and, and just ask, is it a sin to replace a church habit with anything else. Whether it's the World Cup, for a guy like me. Ooh, now Obviously the question not. Got, now it got real. <laughs> now they got personal. Now it got real. <laughs> yeah, so there, this comes up a lot because I'm not sure if you've ever felt this way or thought this way or someone you love has said this, that you, know, you don't need a church to have a personal, strong relationship with God. Right? You know, Grandma, I go to church, I don't go to church, but I still have strong faith, I still believe the things that I believe, it's not like being in a physical building, like that's dependent on the strength of my faith. 
And so for a lot of people, you know, they have the cabin or they go up north or you're doing club sports and you're not around, you're, you're doing cheerleading, you're doing softball, you're doing soccer. There's a thousand different things that can happen where we're not in a place like this week after week after week. And the question is, what does the Bible say about that? We can say this much, that being in a church does not make you a Christian or a good Christian. Uh, back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were super religious. They never missed church. And yet Jesus said they were not exactly the best kids in God's family. In fact, Jesus said that many of them were not even in God's family. Right? So just stepping into a building does not a Christian or a strong Christian make. But we do know this that God wants his people to do things like this on a very habitual and regular basis. So, that's easy for me to say. I'm the pastor, right? So here's a passage if you're taking notes. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, um, this is verses 24 and 25, says, Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the judgment day approaching. All right, so does God want his people not just to be spiritual, but to be organized and religious? The answer is yes. And there's really a simple reason why that you see here. You get to hear the word of God. In my experience, people who stop going to church often very quickly lose their connection to this book. And as this mentions multiple times, God wants us not just to have our own personal faith in him, but he wants us to live as part of a community where we encourage each other, forgive each other, pray for each other. You notice that, right? Let's consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, how we can encourage each other as the day approaches. When people become like spiritual but not religious, they often miss that. They have little connection to the word of God. They're not encouraging other people in their Christian faith. That happens so subtly but it almost always happens where people's faith doesn't get stronger after they stop going to church. It actually gets weaker. So am I going to pounce on someone that they're at the cabin or they're not here every single Sunday? No. But that passage says, if you get in the habit of doing that, if you're waiting to see how the weekend goes, is it church or not church? That's a problem. Right? I think that's really important for us to say these days because sometimes church is like, I mean, what are the odds? Uh, the stats for membership, I think even in our church, that maybe 40% of our members will come on a given Sunday. And I hope it's not because the service is bad. It, it's just kind of a new part of modern Christianity where, you know, if we have time, we'll make it. But we, we don't treat our jobs that way. We don't treat school that way. It just makes us wonder, are we prioritizing our faith in God in the way that he wants us to prioritize it? So, for some of you, that's a correction or a rebuke, or an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. But God wants the chance as your Heavenly Father to speak to you day after day, week after week, and he wants the chance for his people to know you, pray for you, encourage you, and keep you on the best path as you follow God. So, I'm mad at you if you weren't here last Sunday. I'm happy you're here if you're watching at home. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so what I hear you saying is it's a matter of the heart it's about priority. It's God didn't write an exact rule three out of four Sundays or else it's, it's God wants your heart in it. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you're, you're married, you have kids. Time with someone you love is the way a relationship grows, right? So if I'm just at home praying, but I'm not hearing the voice of God and his word, 
Like that relationship, just isn't, that's not how relationships work. It's not going to be strong. So some people say, well, I'm still a Christian. I still pray. Yes. <laughs> but if I just talked at my wife and never listened to my wife, that wouldn't be a great relationship. So same way, there's that relationship where we hear God's word here in church, in the Bible, and we respond to him in prayer and worship. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. What's next? How do you know if you're going to heaven or hell if you're scared about if you're scared about it, how do you take that feeling away? Oh yeah. So I've been a pastor for 15 years. And what I've learned is that there are some people that I think are really incredible Christians, super devout, they never miss a Sunday, they love their Bible, they love Jesus, but still deep down, they either have a question mark or maybe an exclamation point of fear that they're not going to make it to heaven. Um, If some of you deal with uh, maybe depression or anxiety or you just feel in really substantial ways, um, it's actually been surprising to me sometimes when you get beneath the surface of someone who seems so close, they have such a great anxiety about making it to heaven. So here's my short answer. Um, If you believe in Jesus and you're afraid that you're not going to make it, you're good. 100% 100% of the time, that's been my experience. Like, I'm, I'm afraid my faith isn't strong enough. Well, that means you, you care about your faith. And that's a sign that you actually care about Jesus in your heart. So you're good. You know, I'm, I'm afraid that I sin too much. Well, good. <laughs> if you didn't care that you sin too much, I'd be worried for you. But the fact that you care about your walk with God is proof that the Holy Spirit is in your heart. He's making you care about spiritual things. So um, John 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So it's not a matter of being the best Christian. I'm like never being worried about it. Do you trust that Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins? That, that is the only thing you need to have saving faith. So, oh, how about this analogy? Let's imagine you're on an airline flight. Whether you like sleep the whole time, or you're chewing your nails and sick because you think you're going to crash and die. If the pilot knows how to land you in the destination you're going to, you're going to make it whether you're scared or not. So if you're on Team Jesus and you believe in him, your faith might be super strong and you're sleeping like a baby because you know you're going to make it. Or you might be freaking out. Am I good enough for God? Yep. Okay. (laughs) I hope you have peace. But even if you don't, Jesus is going to get you there and he's going to fly you to the other side. I like that analogy. Yeah. Thank you. Here's a really good question, and maybe, Pastor Mike, this might be, I think this, what I'm hearing is it's a little bit more, you personally, Hmm. has there ever been a time where you have been just mad at God or doubted God in your own life, and how did you overcome maybe maybe that frustration with God or that doubt Hmm. that God is in control, whatever it might be? Yeah. Yes. Mad at God... So if some of you know my story, um, God, to this point, I'm 42, he's really spared me substantial pain and suffering in my life. So <clears throat> I haven't battled mental illness. Uh, my little brother died, but I was only one years old, so I don't remember that. My parents are still alive. My kids have been healthy. I married my first girlfriend. I've never been through a divorce. Um, my father-in-law died, but he was in his 70s. So I... I I haven't experienced some of the deep pain that many of you have that make you question God or frustrated with God. 
But I think what I have done is I've sinned a whole lot. Um, and that's probably, I, I remember doubting. So um, some of you know the story that I used to be uh, addicted to pornography. And man, I was super devout in my faith and I hated it. I hated it, but I kept going back to it. Like not once or twice, but thousands of times. And how many times can you like say you're sorry to God for doing the exact same thing and not start to doubt like, am I really a Christian? I mean, I said last night, God, I'm so sorry. I would say it through tears. I, I literally had a CD that I would play when I was in high school. Like, it was like my repentance CD. It was like sad Christian songs that would just make me feel like, oh, man. And, you know, I'd, I'd weep in repentance. And I remember one night, um, literally that happened. It was on the downstairs computer in our house. And I, like, was so broken coming upstairs. And I, I sat in bed feeling bad. And like 20 minutes later, I was tempted again and walked right back downstairs. Right, so that's, that's the one time I can remember as a Christian where I was in church every week reading the Bible every day, but did I doubt that forgiveness was for me? Did I think I had sinned too many times that I had lost my chance in heaven? For sure, I did. So some of you doubt God because of pain. Some of us have doubted God because of our own weakness and sin. Um, how did I get out of it? Just the grace of God and reading passages that say God died for the wicked. My favorite verse, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not when we were good. Um, Romans chapter 7, Paul said, why do I keep doing the things I hate? Romans 8, verse 1, but right now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I think what saves you from doubt or fear or anger with God is just getting back to the true things that God says that have not changed because of your situation, whatever it might be. So some of you are struggling with addiction now. Like read Romans 7 and 8 after church today. If you're dealing with pain, Romans 8 is your go-to jam. Like that is such a rich section for escaping those traps where we just feel like too lost and disconnected from God. So the, the combination of I feel one way, yes. yet God says this, exactly. I have to enslave my feelings to what God says really is yeah. true. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. So I feel mad. That doesn't mean it's true. I feel like I'm not going to heaven. doesn't mean it's true. i got to think again and compare it to what God's word says. Yeah, I like that question. Thank you. Uh, here's a good question, um, really, about what's going on in society a little bit. My in place of employment is pro-LGBT. BTQ, mm -hmm. is it a sin to work there? And it feel because it feels like I'm supporting something that I shouldn't. No, no. That was a great answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no, I. When I go get my hair cut, I'm not looking for a Christian barber. I'm looking for someone who's good at haircuts. When I want to get my tires changed on my car, my oil changed, I'm not asking the mechanic, what do you believe about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> right? To do connection in the world of business or commerce, you know, I hate this. We're like, so-and-so doesn't support all biblical values, so we're going to ban them and cancel them. Like, no, it's not a church. It's not a religion. Like, I, I don't expect people who aren't based on the Bible to share all my biblical convictions. 
So do I think I need to run from every place that's not like 100% Bible? Um, no, I definitely don't think that's true. Um, there's going to be lines that I can't cross. So I might have to be honest with my employer, like, hey, listen, if you want me to say this or do this or put this on my email thing, you know, or clap when everything here, like I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm going to love everyone, but there's just some lines I'm not going to cross because my Jesus says this is right or wrong. So I'm not going to compromise my faith, but I don't think we have to live in these little Christian utopian bubbles where everyone we ever talk to is all Christian. It's just not reasonable. It's not what the first century church did. You know, um, in the ancient Roman world, you'd have like different guilds and people who would worship different Roman and Greek gods. Like there's nothing in the Bible that says, now everyone like run to your house church and stay away from the wicked world. It's like, no, go let your light shine, spread the good news, love people, invest in them. So the world might kick us out, but let's not separate ourselves from the world if we don't have to. Excellent. Um, Pastor Michael is just messaging me about one question that's getting a lot of upvotes here is, um, how do I understand what God wants me to do with my life considering all the things that are going on in it? So maybe like, um, should I take this job or that job? Ooh, yeah. Should I marry this person or that person? Yep. And how can God help you make the right choices and help you see clear answers? Yep. Great question. What does God want me to do? Um, I had a great um, professor when I was a freshman in college. <clears throat> His name was Daniel Deutschlander. He was not Spanish. He was <laughs> He's a great lover. He's a bachelor his whole life, one of the smartest, most theological men I've ever met. He's in heaven now. And uh, he, he was so good because here's one of the many things he taught us. If God hasn't revealed something in the Bible, he's cool either way. He used to say, you know, you get up in the morning, you're trying to figure out, should I wear the black pants or the brown pants? What does God want me to do? Grab your Bible. Does God say anything about black or brown pants? Nope then he's cool either way. So there's not some mysterious, like, secret voice you need to hear whispering in your ear. Should I buy this house? Should I sell? We have three kids. Should we have a fourth? Does God want me to go here or there? Should I take this job, leave this one? Should I start a business? Like, does the Bible say anything about that? Nope. Then God's cool either way. So um, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says that the things that God has revealed to, I'm paraphrasing this, the things that God has revealed to us is what belongs to us and the things that he's kept hidden for us are none of our business. So you don't have to find some secret ladder to heaven to peek up there and see what God wants you to do. Either take job A and love people well or go to job B and love people well. Either stay in your house and serve your neighbor or move to a different house and serve your neighbor. God's cool either way. You don't have to freak out about what he wants you to do. If he had a strong opinion about it, he would tell you, and he hasn't. So you're good. But yet I wonder if people like Pastor Mike can just help me, just tell me, tell me, come on, tell me, <laughs> tell me what I should do. I mean, you think about maybe even um, something like picking a future spouse. That's a big decision. Yeah. Like how do you approach that with godly wisdom. Sure. Knowing, knowing that God hasn't said, You're, you should name or marry a person named such and such. Yep. So then how do I approach tough choices yeah. when God is silent on them? Yeah, good answer. Yeah, when Kim and I met, my <coughs> wife Kim, uh, back in 1999, um, it was like a fall day. I remember like the leaves were turning colors, the 
the wind was blowing, she could hear him like rustling across, and the Holy Spirit just whispered into her ear, Mary Ann. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in, in your proof passages. <laughs> I know, I just feel, I just feel like that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, the Bible does say we can pray for wisdom, and there are general principles, let's say in the Proverbs, um, you know, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So if you're dating someone who doesn't fear the Lord, like God does have something to say about that. He's not going to say, okay, these women are approved and these are not. But he does talk about the blessing of being united in faith if you're moving in the same direction with your life. So I would say there, there is some guidance on things like that. God is not going to get a list of people you can be friends with or not. But he does in the book of Proverbs talk about people who are foolish and dangerous People are making dumb decisions and you're jumping in the back seat and they're going to wreck you with their reckless lifestyles. So I would say there's some general direction that can guide us. We can pray about that, read the scriptures, and that's going to, you know, maybe that gives us the two curbs to avoid extremes and then there's just a lot of freedom that God gives us in the middle lanes. I like the, your first answer the Holy Spirit just told you. <laughs> um, no. I wish Kim was watching on the live stream at home, but she's... Hopped up on NyQuil right now, so I'm sure she's sleeping, but make sure you tell her that. Make sure you tell her that. Okay, we will. Um, Something a little bit lighter. I know a number of people are wondering, what is the story of the cross tattoo on your arm? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is. Well, now you're going to get your answer. Yep. So, (laughs) Kim and I, this sounds weird, and I don't know why, because my wife is such a great, uh, amazing person. Um, like she was really reluctant for me to get a tattoo and I was giving these ideas to her and she just never kind of got on board. I'm like, well, she's going to see it all the time. So I should probably get something she likes until one day I said, how about I trade you? You let me get a tattoo and I'll buy you an iPad. And she said, okay. (laughs) So that's how I got permission for the tattoo. Now here's what it is. So there's a cross. Obviously it's over my pulse. Because the forgiveness of Jesus is like the pulse. It's the heart of my faith. Um, it's on my right arm instead of my left because this is my strong arm. So the cross of Jesus and his love for me is really the strength of my faith. Uh, backwards, hopefully it kind of looks like a sword. Um, the Bible says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So sometimes I'm preaching like this. This is the weapon I fight against, temptation and lies, so that I can follow God. Um, inside of it, it, there's a Hebrew word. It says ladonai, which is Hebrew for created by the Lord and dedicated to the Lord. So God gave me this body. He created me. Because of Jesus is my passion. I'm dedicated to him. I'm going to fight my spiritual battles with the Bible. And uh, Jesus Christ and his forgiveness is the heartbeat of my faith. What Bible passage can I use to back that up? Oh, I got one. Revelation 19, verse 16, Jesus shows up and it says, On his robe and on Jesus' thigh... He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, Inc. Jesus, Inc. (laughs) But having some people ask that, isn't there an Old Testament passage that says we shouldn't mark our bodies? So does the Bible contradict itself? Um, The Old Testament also says we should cut the throats of lambs when we come to church. And you shouldn't wear blends of uh, two different fabrics in your clothing. Anyone want to check the tag of the neighbor in front of you? 
So the Bible has a whole bunch of Old Testament rules that were just meant for Old Testament people if they're not repeated in the New Testament. Like we don't have to slaughter lambs because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We're not like the Jewish people set apart. We don't have to wear long beards like Orthodox Jewish people do. You don't have to keep the Sabbath day. You can eat pork. How about that? That was a no-no in the Old Testament. So a bunch of laws we don't repeat because they're not repeated in the New Testament. Plus, if you actually look at that passage, I think it's in the book of Leviticus, it has something to do with like cutting your body to somehow worship the dead. So the context of that passage isn't like, I'm getting a tattoo to honor God. It was some pagan ritual where they'd cut their bodies like they did in the worship of Baal to worship false gods and honor the dead. So am I being defensive? I sound like I'm being a little bit defensive. No, context is important. Yes, yes. Good question. <clears throat> All right, changing gears. Is sex before official marriage still a sin if you both verbally committed to each other and to God? Ooh. Do you know who once asked that question? Me. <laughs> so, sorry if this is TMI. Um, Kim and I were engaged. We were totally committed. We were both trying to remain virgins until our wedding night, but we liked each other a bit. And that was really difficult. And I was doing premarital counseling with a future pastor, seminary student. And I'm like, listen, we're already committed. We're not going to break this up now. Like, why do we have to wait these last few months? And he did not tell me the answer I wanted him to. <laughs> so yeah, I would say sex is this great gift from God. That's thing number one. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. It's not a bad thing. It's not an embarrassing thing. It's a good gift from a good God who made male and female bodies, gave us sexual desire, and gave us as a great gift to marriage. But he gave it to marriage. Not we're really close, we're committed. Not we have kind of our own arrangement. No, marriage is something that's publicly recognized, it's official, it's legal, it can only be undone by divorce. And when two people say, I really love you and we're committed to each other, that is not any of those things. Right? So there's no such thing as personal marriage for you that's not recognized as marriage by the state, by the church, by your family. That's just a really committed relationship. And that's a great thing, but that's not a marriage thing. Sex is a marriage thing. So I think of Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. So God cares about the marriage bed, the institution of marriage that he began where you officially leave father and mother and you're united to your spouse. So I get it. <laughs> it's hard when you like someone and when you're attracted to them. Um, but yep, the answer that God gave me years ago was correct. Uh, you got to wait. God has a great gift, but he's not giving it to you before your wedding night. And I think you, and Pastor Michael was kind of mentioning the follow-up, which I think you kind of hit on, is the, the difference between um, a, a commitment before God and the actual legal piece of paper that you sign. Yeah. A number of people, I think, maybe feel like, oh, that's just a piece of paper, that's just a government thing, but between God and us, we're here. Yeah. That really, it's all a big package deal yeah. before God. Yeah, it is. I don't know of any biblical passage that would say, there was a kind of marriage that wasn't recognized by wider society. So America has a, you know, a way that we recognize marriages. Other countries, cultures, tribes, they might, have like a, might not have a justice of the peace, but they have some official way to recognize this is a marriage. And I think this kind of American idea that we just know it in our hearts. <laughs> I was on Wisconsin a couple, they were living together, sleeping together, and as their pastor years ago, I went to talk to them about it. And I remember the, the woman was saying, well, you know, pastor, it's like we're already married. And she's saying this to me, and I see the guy in my peripheral vision going, <laughs> like, whoa, 
Wait, you think you're married, but the guy you think you're married to doesn't think he's married to you? Like, this, this is a problem, right? So, no, no, no. There's no unofficial personal way to do it. There's a societally recognized way that we honor marriage. Excellent. Uh, here's here's uh, one that's upvoted a lot, and I think we had a similar question in the first service today, but um, what... What, I, what uh, ideas, what thoughts do you have about people who are struggling with their children who are wrestling with their faith mm. without being that helicopter parent shoving it down their throats? Mm. Um, the world has so many challenges that are, they're, face, they're facing them yep. um, with gender identity, sexuality, yep. all kinds of things. So yes. how do parents continue to encourage, especially kids who are actively struggling and saying on the verge of, I'm done with this Jesus thing. Yeah, yeah. My kids are both in church this morning, so I haven't, I haven't been there. Um, but I was talking to a woman after church who definitely is there. And, it, you know, as a parent, you love your kids more than anything in this world. And if you're a Christian parent, you love your kids following Christ more than their career, more than having grandkids, even more than their health. You'd rather have a sick Christian kid than a healthy kid who's walking away from Jesus and going to miss out on heaven. So there's, there's some weight in this question that many of you have felt before. Um, my advice would you, to you would be, like as much as you can when kids are young, to teach them both what we believe and why we believe it. Right? So you know, here's what we believe about a hot-button issue. You know, I know not everyone believes this, son, but here's what we believe, and here's the, here's the Bible passage, why we believe it. That's why during Q&A Sunday, you're always going to see me quoting a passage, going back to that book. Um, I want you to know why we believe it, and then I want to show you that only Jesus is the way to escape all of this madness and actually get to a better life in the one to come. Right, so I would say this, like if my daughter was thinking of walking away from the church or the Christian faith, I would just say, honey, like only Jesus will forgive you for everything, only Jesus will love you unconditionally. Only Jesus can make you good enough to be in the presence of God forever and ever. And I don't know what this world's going to offer you. I don't know what that boy's going to offer you. I don't know what your friends are going to offer you. It might be good, but I guarantee you it is not eternal life in the perfect presence of God. So, yeah, there's things that are really hard about being a Christian in this world, and it would be easier if you weren't a Christian. But that's not the question of this world. The question is when we die... And God comes with justice to judge us. Will we have any response to him? And I'm clinging to Jesus for dear life because, as I just confessed, there's a million ways that God could condemn me as being far from perfect and being totally unworthy of heaven. So I want to remind my kids, it's hard. It was hard for the apostles. It was hard for the prophets. It was hard for Jesus. Like, this isn't going to be an easy life for us to follow him, but here's why he's worthy of giving up everything you have, no matter what he costs you. So it's tough, but I would want to start from the youngest age. I think a lot of Christian parents make the mistake, I brought my kid to church, but we never talked about it at home. Or I taught them how to pray, but we never talked about the God we were praying to. So I think, you know, church and Bible stories are a really great place to start, but regular conversations are the way that you shape kids to see the glory and the beauty and the forgiveness of Christ. Last thing I'd say really quickly, if you're a parent, talk to your kids about your own sin and how much Jesus means to you. Like, if they just grow up thinking religion is this thing we do on Sunday, 
And Pastor Mike talks for a really long time, and it's kind of boring, and I can't wait till I'm away from this. Like, talk to your kids. Like, hey, you know when I was impatient with you today? Like, I'm really sorry for that, and I'm so grateful that Jesus forgives me, and that I'm still going to go to heaven because of him, and I hope you can forgive me too. Like, let your children see how much the forgiveness part means to you, not just the good things we do because we're Christians. So that'll help them appreciate the bigness and uniqueness of the gospel. And I often hear in church when you pastors in one of your messages share something vulnerable like that, that that means a lot to see that in, in you. So yeah. similarly, kids seeing that in us. Yeah. Like my dad, he might be my hero, but he still knows he needs Jesus. And that's going to make a kid love Jesus even more. So There's no magic bullet. The proverb that says train up a child in the way they should go is a proverb, which means it's a probability. doesn't mean it's guaranteed every single time. Um, but I think the best we can do is to raise them up with a robust understanding of the gospel. What do you think? One more One question? One more question? Yeah, let's do it. Here's a short question, but oh. I think it's a very deep question. How does the Holy Spirit work? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, I think the best way the Holy Spirit works is through the Holy Scripture that he himself inspired. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1 says the scriptures like weren't some clever invention of people, but the prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit wants you to like know Jesus or the glory of God or your forgiveness or the difference between right or wrong, it's not some whisper or nudge or dream or subjective vision. It's like he gave you a book. There's plenty of pages here for you and I to read and there's everything that you need in here to follow Jesus, to know his love, to end up in heaven and to love people well. So the Holy Spirit certainly could do anything, but God has promised that if we have this book that the Spirit inspired we have all that we need, like it says here, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I've always thought that preaching that is biblical is deeply spiritual, and that any song that you sing, have you ever heard like the Spirit was really moving today? Um, that's true whenever the Bible is open. So whether people have like their hands in the air, or they're sitting there a little bit more conservatively, whether they're in their seats or up on their feet. When the Bible is open, when you and the band are singing words about Jesus, the Spirit is doing his thing. It doesn't matter the expression on my face or the position of my hands. Like the Holy Spirit works powerfully through the word. So Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message. Isaiah 55, God's word is what brings back exactly what God wants from it. And I'd say 2 Peter 1, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed. And a really quick follow-up to that, I, I was looking for the question if it was here or if it was the previous service, but you kind of mentioned it a little bit, um, dreams. Mm. In the Old Testament, God spoke through those dreams quite often. Yep. Um, can and does God still do those things today? Should we receive certain dreams like, oh, maybe God was trying to tell me something? C can God do that? C God could speak to you through a bowl of oatmeal if he wanted to. Mm. We'll God. So we're not trying to limit what God can do. The question is, if we want to be sure that God is speaking to us. I had a dream once. I remember I was like 
I was like a piece of fruit in a tree, and then a giraffe came and he, he bit me. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> what is this supposed to mean, God? You know, and how, how would you know? How, you have some personal thing that you're trying to, well, does this apply to work? Does this mean I'm supposed to date this person? I mean, the beauty of the Christian faith is that we don't have to guess. I mean, how terrifying would that be if you had to guess what God wants you to do? You would never know. You might think it. Is that just what your heart wants? Is that what people are telling you to do? Like, once you get into that realm of subjectivity, it is so difficult to know for certain I'm doing the thing that God wants me to do. And so um, Hebrews chapter 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So yeah, he did use dreams. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So now that you and I have what Daniel and Joseph didn't have, we have 66 books that make up the Holy Scriptures. We don't need special messages from God. He's already given us his will, which is right here in his word. To have messed up as many times as I have in my life, but just to know without a doubt, like I'm going to make it. Like I'm going to see God and he's not going to be mad at me or ashamed of me or disappointed. Like I can't imagine believing anything else. Like, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I not done enough bad things? Like, just to not have to worry about those questions because of Jesus is so profoundly beautiful to me. I love being a Christian. All right, well, our next question here is about forgiveness. Oh, all right. Yes, yes, do it. How can you forgive someone (laughs) when you won't ever be able to understand or justify their sin against you? Yep. And because the Bible says that we should forgive others, if I can't, what happens then if I, I die and I just can't forgive that person when God has commanded me to? Yeah. So we had a sermon series uh, maybe two years yeah. ago now. We uh, originally called it the other F word <laughs> because what the Bible says about forgiveness is actually so offensive. Um, it's shocking. The way that God forgives us just so immediately at the cross is it just doesn't fit in human brains. And the way that God asks us to forgive other people is shocking too because as we're about to pray in a few minutes in the Lord's Prayer, God says to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So just like you forgive us for everything, God, we want to forgive everyone for everything too. And the question is, you know, it's not just someone who raises their voice or argues with you, but when it's really a profound pain you know, my uncle was abusive or my spouse cheated on me or, you know, fill in the blank, something really traumatic. Um, I would encourage you, like, go back to that sermon series for a complete answer. But I think this part helps. In the Bible, to forgive doesn't mean to say it's okay what that person did. Actually, if you have to forgive it, that means it was a sin and it was terribly grievous in the eyes of God. Um, It also doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends or have an old relationship again. I could forgive someone and call the cops on them. I could forgive them and keep my distance from them. You could forgive your spouse and still divorce them if they cheated on you or were abusing you. Uh, Here's what the biblical word forgiveness means. To not take revenge. Right? So, you punch me. If I punch you back, that's not forgiveness. If you punch me and I say... I'm going to leave it to God to take care of your sin, but I'm not going to be the one to bring justice down in your head. That's what forgiveness looks like. So if someone doesn't own it, if they don't apologize to me, 
if someone did something to you and then they died or like they don't take it seriously, you can still forgive them even if you keep your distance from them. As long as you're not actively trying to get them back, sabotage them, use your words, your actions, like everything to make them hurt for the way that they hurt you, that's what forgiveness looks like. So I think that's huge. We're all going to struggle with forgiveness. That thing we say, forgive and forget, not biblical, pretty much impossible. How can you forget the biggest stuff that happens to you? Forgiveness is just the daily choice that says, God, it hurts what they said, it hurts what they did, but it's not my place to take revenge. I leave the justice for you. I'm going to step away and I'm going to forgive. So I'm guessing if I ask this person, like, man, do you want to? Like, do you want to escape this life of like bitterness and vengeance? I'm guessing they would say yes. And it's not that they're unforgiving or hard-hearted. It's just that it's really hard to do day after day after day. I remember the, the stone analogy I think you used in that series. Yeah, just yeah. let the stone alone. Don't yeah. pick up the stone to throw it and hurt them. Yeah. Someone sent against you, it's like a stone, they yeah. hit you in the chest, then the stone is right there. Vengeance is picking the stone up and said, you did this. Forgiveness is every day knowing that the stone is there. I remember what they said to me, but I'm going to leave the stone alone. Um, I have a friend who actually has that um, phrase framed in their bedroom, leave the stone alone, like a daily reminder. That, that's God's business, not mine. Good. Yeah. Ephesians 4, verse 32, good passage. Forgive each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, did you answer the, if I haven't been able to forgive, what happens when I die? Piece of that. Um, kind of. If you refuse to forgive, like if I would say to you, God wants you to forgive, let's read the Lord's Prayer together, and you say, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to punish him for what he did for the rest of my life. Well, then I'd be very spiritually concerned. Um, do you want God to treat you that way? <laughs> do you want him to take your sin and say, I'm going to get her for the rest of her eternal life? No, that's not what you want from God. So I, I think I'd want to think really deeply about what do you want to receive from him? And if you're grateful that God loves you when you don't deserve it, isn't it only right to give someone what they don't deserve and forgive them? Good. Uh, here's the next most upvoted question. If Jesus is God, mm -hmm. why did he question why God had forsaken him on the cross? Ooh. Yep, I like this one. So is that... Matthew 27, do I have that right? Yeah, Matthew 27, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So am I hearing the question right? If Jesus is God, he's perfect, why would he say that? Mm -hmm. This is the mystery of what Jesus went through on the cross. So um, some people call this the great exchange, that Jesus took like all of our sin, everything you've ever done wrong, everything you're afraid that God will judge you for, like all of it, Jesus took upon himself. And when it ended up on Jesus' shoulders, all the anger, all the disappointment, all the wrath that God would have poured out on you and me, he poured it out on his son, Jesus. And apparently, Suffering the rightful punishment of every sin of all time was so overwhelming, it was like Jesus was not even in the presence of God. There was no happiness, no joy. He felt so distant from God. So that's really, he was suffering, we would say, the punishment of hell in our place. And that's what hell is, where God is just gone. So Jesus felt the full weight of that. In exchange, 
what Jesus gives us is his perfection, his holiness, his absolute approval. Um, I love what Pastor Michael sometimes says in the beginning of our services that he, he makes us what God is looking for, right? So just like Jesus felt like, why are you so distant from me? Now sinners like you and I can feel, oh, God, your face is shining upon me. You accept me. You approve of me. You love me. So why did he say that? Even though he was God, he was suffering the full weight and curse of our sin, which is suffering the pains of hell itself. It's also a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. So he was quoting ancient scripture about being totally abandoned and forsaken by God. It's actually a quote from the Bible, believe it or not. Here's a logical question. Oh. If God is omniscient, yes. and he knew that the world would fall into sin after Wait, he Wait, what's omniscient it, mean? That's a big word. Omniscient means? You're the pastor. No. <laughs> um, if God knows everything, past, present, future. Omniscient, all-knowing, yep. All-knowing. Uh, and he knew the world would fall into sin. Why did he still choose to create it? Oh. Do you know what Martin Luther said to this question? He said, do you know why God um, created trees? So he could take the sticks and spank people who ask questions like that. <laughs> I, th I think whoever asked this question feels really good about themselves right now. <laughs> no, no I've, um, so there's probably about 10 questions that are just like that that I've asked. Um, so many times they're very logical to me. Um, for example, if God, if God knows everything, he knew that Adam and Eve were going to take the fruit so why did he put the tree with the fruit there? If, Ad, if God knew that Satan and some of the angels would fall, why did he create Satan and those angels? If God knew that when the fallen angels would tempt Adam and Eve and they'd give in to that temptation, why didn't he just destroy Satan after he fell instead of allowing the temptation to happen? Like, if, if God knows everything, he could have done like 10 things differently from my perspective so that the story would be different. And I think those are really logical questions. The Bible does not answer them as much as I wish it did. Um, the Bible simply gives this framework. When there's things you don't understand about God, just remember, he's God and you're not. So, do I think I have a logical case against God that he could have done things better in the beginning to make the world a better place? I, I think so. Makes sense to me. But I forget the passwords on like my, my own accounts. <laughs> Is it a capital letter? Was there a number at the end? Was it an exclamation point? <laughs> like, I know so little. So I have to remind myself, Mike, if you know so little about the world, who, who are you to judge the God who knows all things? So I can relate to the question. I've asked the question. From a human perspective, it's a great question. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So if we lean on understanding, we're going to say, God, you could have done it better. You we're human. Nope. Okay, God, you must have had a reason. You're going to tell me one day. He hasn't told us to it, told the answer to us just yet. I wish he had. He hasn't. So we're going to have to wait for that one. And I don't, I'm, if you see me like by the tree that's outside the church, I'm not trying to get a branch to hit you with it. So I don't, I don't know who asked that question. I'd be hitting myself first. If you see people walking way around you. <laughs> Why did everyone out, run away after church? <laughs> Okay, here's, here's kind of a heavy question. Mm, yep. Um, I know even for me personally, this is one I had to wrestle with for a while, was um, are babies that die unbaptized saved? Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, 
So there's no direct Bible passage that would say, if baby is unbaptized, here's exactly what happens. So what do we know in the context of the situation? Um, we know from the Bible that you and I have a problem with sin, not from the time we turn 18 or 13 or 10 or 6. The Bible says, and most parents would agree, that sinful, selfish behavior happens from the very beginning. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Right? So can we say biblically that children from the earliest age are not innocent, they're not perfect, they're not pure, they're not all worthy to go to heaven? It's going to be offensive to some of you, but does the Bible say that? And the answer is yes. You don't start having a spiritual problem once you do something really bad when you're 22. You start having a spiritual problem from the very moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. It's actually kind of fascinating. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David writes after he commits adultery with a married woman and then murders her husband and then lies about it to cover it up. And David writes a song about that experience and that's where he puts this verse, I didn't start being a sinner when I had that guy killed or when I slept with his wife. I started being a sinner from the time of my birth, yes, even my conception. Right? So some people are going to deny that. They're going to say, no, all kids are innocent. That's, that's, not, that's not biblically true. Psalm 51.5, Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, by nature, we are objects of God's wrath. Point number two, the way that God solves that problem of sin, whether you're 30 or 13 or three months old, is by connecting us to Jesus. So Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for old people, middle-aged people, teenagers, toddlers, even little babies. Uh, the blood of Jesus purifies all of us from all of our sin. Right? So all of us, even babies, have a sin problem. Jesus is the answer to that sin problem. And now the big question is, how do you get connected to Jesus? And the answer is, through the word and through baptism. Um, we've been talking a lot about 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I kind of read that to kick off tonight's service. Listen to this. Right before it says, all scripture is God-breathed. In verse 15, it says, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So from infancy, Paul's speaking to a pastor named Timothy. You didn't start to become wise for salvation when you turn 10. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Spirit used this word that your mother and your grandmother told you and it created faith in your heart. So I would say what the Bible says for sure is that we're born with a sin problem. God gives us the word and baptism to take care of that sin problem with our children. And if God gives us the opportunity, we should run to that as fast as we can to sing songs about Jesus, read Bible story books, get our children baptized, like, they have a problem that needs to be fixed. Um, this happened to me when I had my first kid. So, um, Brooklyn was born 14 and a half years ago now. I'm living down outside of Madison. And I know all these Bible passages because I've been teaching the Bible for a little bit. And she's born and, you know, we're trying to figure out the date for the baptism and when can your brother and sister get here and when do people have vacation days? And, and honestly, the thought overwhelmed me. I could fix her number one problem right now. And so I said to Kim, call your parents, we're baptizing this kid tonight. And in the kitchen sink of our home, we baptized Brooklyn and gave her the promises of God and the washing away of her sin. 
So as fast as we can, parents, we don't want to wait. God doesn't care how many people attend. Like, give your kids the gift of the gospel of Jesus and a baptism as quickly as possible. But that wasn't your question, was it? The question is, what happens if you don't have the chance? I would say this. Like, if God, for whatever reason, allows a child to pass away and we don't have the chance to read the Bible stories or raise them in church or to be baptized, the only answer is, well, then that child is in the hands of God and God always does the right thing. It's a question for some of you who've had miscarriages or stillborns. Like, you, you would have raised your kids with the little stories about Jesus and the baptism and everything else, but God didn't give you the chance. That means that child is in God's hands. God never makes a mistake. You never have to worry about it. He is perfectly good and perfectly merciful. Like, it's going to be okay. So I think we hold those things in tension. We don't want to take the sinfulness of children too lightly. It's fine. We'll wait until they can make their own decision. No, 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 no. Like, you wouldn't do that with your kids' nutrition. I'm not going to tell them what to eat. I'm just going to let them make their own decisions. No. (laughs) You know what your kid needs. Give it to them at the very youngest age. And if you know that Jesus is what their soul needs, give it to them from the very youngest age. Don't wait. Give them baptism. Give them the word. And if God forbid something happens, we leave that in the hands of a good father. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of those things I had to wrestle with because my wife and I miscarried our first child. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clearly, I was at college at our, our Senate training school and our professor came up in a class and he just gave this great picture of what you said, that God is just, he will make the right decision. But he also kind of added that he went through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And he has the picture of that day in heaven when we hear the judgment rendered by our God, we will joyfully applaud and celebrate it because his justice and his judgments are so good. Yeah. And he has not told us the exact details yeah. of that judgment, but yeah. he has given us that promise that yeah. he, is, he, it will, he will always be right, whatever yeah. he does. Yeah. When you pass and get to heaven, you won't be mad about anything. You won't be disappointed in anything that God does. You'll see his eyes and see his face and everything will be good. Great question. Oh, here's one related to our current time. We just celebrated Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus' birthday is what we celebrate on Christmas. Do we know when Jesus was actually born? And if it wasn't on Christmas, why do we celebrate Christmas? I think when we do, and is it a sin to do it? And I think what they're getting at is, doesn't Christmas have some pagan holiday roots behind it or what's the deal what's going on there there's a lot of debate when exactly jesus was born the bible does not give a date or a time some people speculate in luke chapter 2 the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks at night and they try to predict like when the shepherds of bethlehem would have been out at night based on like the climate and the weather it's all conjecture short answer is we don't know Uh, For many, many, many years, many centuries, Christians have chosen to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. To the best of my knowledge, there was a pagan festival for Saturnalia, I think is the name. And when people became, they converted to becoming Christians, you know, they used to go to their old pagan parties. But now they couldn't go there anymore because they believe new things about Jesus. So they started their own parties to celebrate the birth of the Son of God. So I don't think that those early Christians claimed this is the exact day when Jesus was born. This is his birthday. It was just the day that they chose to remember him on. So 
Do you have to? No. Can you celebrate the birth of Jesus in January? Yes. Do you have to wait until Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? No. (laughs) So there's these long traditions that Christians have followed, but you don't have to, as long as you're remembering the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But you're still not allowed to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, Obviously right? not. Okay, good. As long as Let's that's... be clear about yes. that. Okay, good. The Just baby Jesus sure. weeps in the manger. <laughs> it's only October. What are you doing? <laughs> oh. Okay, a, a really short question, but I think there's a lot packed into this, is how does science support creation? Hmm. Like, if we close the Bible... If we're not looking for like, in the beginning, God created, how do we look at the natural world and test it and end up believing that God created things? So I think what the question is getting at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a sermon series we did here at the core, uh, January of 2016, called In the Beginning. If you can find that podcast online. Uh, I remember in that we had talked about the sheer odds of earth existing, the universe existing. Like the odds are so insanely impossible if there wasn't someone, I always picture like a big soundboard like we have in the back. You know, there's all these dials and knobs that can all be adjusted. If you look at the universe from that perspective, like the force of gravity has to be, it has to be just right, a little bit too much and actually the toxic gases that are up in the sky would get pulled down, you'd breathe them and die. If it was a little bit less, oxygen would take off, you couldn't breathe and you would die. Like gravity has to be just right. The moon and earth and the sun have to be just right, you know, so the tides work and the waves work and, you know, we have to be so close to the sun like that it's warm enough but not too close that we burn up and not so far away that we freeze. There's all these little buttons and levers. And for a person to think, well, this just happened randomly, that is the luckiest luck out of all the lucks in the history of luck. Like, it's absurd. If you believe it just happened with no God, you should buy a lottery ticket because the odds are way, way, way better. In the sermon series, I think I crunched the numbers of like, winning the lottery multiple, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in a row are equal to the odds of just some bang happened and boof, the universe as we know existed. So in Psalm 19 verse 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. In Romans 1 and verse 2, it says that God can be seen just by observing nature, the complexity of it. Think of a baby. Think of that. It starts with like, you put on some romantic music and open a bottle of wine, and then nine months later, a baby happens. Like, how? How? <laughs> you just look at creation, the complexity of your eyes or your heart or your lungs or the universe, and the Bible's spot on about that. Like, how could this happen without a brilliant God doing all the buttons and knobs and levers just so the universe works out right? So, yeah, I would read Romans 1 and 2, Psalm 19, or just look around. Just how, what are the odds that that happened? If you would find like a, a pocket watch in the woods, you wouldn't say, wow, over millions of years, like the wind blew just right, so this pocket watch was formed. No, you'd say something that complex, like who put that there? Right, so complexity is proof of a designer, and the incredible complexity of the universe is proof that God designed the universe.
the watchmaker theory, interestingly enough, there are, there are um, atheists that have tried to mathematically prove that that can happen, mm. which is always intriguing to me that they will try at any means to prove that God cannot or does not exist yeah. in the most illogical ways sometimes. Yeah. I would say, what are the odds? And then would you bet your life savings on those same odds? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. No, yeah. not at all. Okay, here's a, I think maybe time for a couple more. I know this service is a little bit longer than usual, but I hope this, this is very beneficial to all of you. There's a lot of great questions. You guys are submitting great questions. Um, people often say things like, so-and-so, a, a loved one who has died, is watching over you. I don't think this is accurate and often upsets people when I say that. <laughs> is that biblical to be able to say that? Do you remember when Brett Favre, the Green Bay Packer quarterback, his dad died? And he had like the, the best game of his career that Sunday. And they do the, just a touching like NFL moment. So like, I know my dad was looking down on me, blessing me, like making the wind blow so the, <laughs> the bass landed. Um, I know why we say that. When we deeply love someone, we just, we don't want to embrace what death is. The Bible says that death, 1 Corinthians 15, is our enemy. Death separates us from things that are good and people we love. And that is so jarring for some of us that when you really love, when it's not some person who died in South America that you don't know, but it's someone that you loved with your whole heart. It's your kid, it's your spouse, it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your grandpa, your grandpa. We, we just, we don't want death to be 100% real. We don't want it to separate us from them, at least for now. We want to have some connection. That's why people say these crazy things about cardinals. Have you heard this? A cardinal landed on my back porch and I knew it was grandpa. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, no, you did not know that. By the way, uh, after I preached that sermon about six months ago, I put two little cardinals above the doorway by the coffee. So those are my cardinals that remind us of. <laughs> so we, I know why we do it, but that is something we've made up. If you can find a Bible passage that says, after your grandpa died, God made him an angel to look down on you and guard you from heaven, I owe you five bucks. But I'm not going to owe you five bucks. If your grandpa believed in Jesus, the moment he took his last breath, he escaped the pain and suffering of this world and he got to enjoy for the first time in his existence the face and the presence of God. And that is keeping him plenty busy and insanely happy. So I know you miss him. I know you can't wait to see your loved ones, but God is going to be with you as your good shepherd now. God is with them in heaven, fully satisfying their souls. And one day you're going to be reunited with them. Death will be conquered and you and those that you love will get to see the face of God together. So let's not minimize the beauty of what they're going through by thinking they're looking at Jesus and looking down at the brokenness of this world. I wouldn't want that. If my own daughter died, I wouldn't want her looking at the pain and suffering of this world I would want her to be completely happy in heaven. It might make me feel better to know she's looking down. She's with Jesus. That's better news. Right? So. What Bible passage can I use to... I'm trying to prove something that doesn't exist in the Bible, which feels difficult. I'd say Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. So I'm leaving this world. I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
So let your loved ones who are with Jesus enjoy the presence of Jesus. You'll be there with both of them soon enough. Are you all mad I rained on your cardinal parade? (laughs) 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 My my grandma Devon used to have like old sweaters with like little cardinals stitched into them. So I hope I didn't dishonor her memory. (laughs) Uh, We got time for one more question, you think? Uh, Sure. Depends on what it is. Um, well, Pastor Michael says, should we end on a bang and ask a tough, really, uh, really big question? Yes. So usually what I love about this church and I love about Q&A Sundays is no topic is off limits. And surprisingly, there are always every year are tough questions about pornography hmm. and sex and things like that. And yep. there haven't been many, but we got one now. Good. And we thought we'd ask that one. So the question is, if porn is wrong to use together in your marriage, mm-hmm. Does that include all other sex toys used while together? And do you have resources with people who are struggling with pornography, which is something that we always want to talk about? Two different questions, huh? Uh, great. Thank you yeah. for thank you for asking this. I, there are so many que- people, Christians, couples who wonder about these things. But wh- what do you do when you have a question? You you Google it. <laughs> that, mm. that seems dangerous. So whoever had the courage to ask this, yes. Um, I would say point number one. Uh, pornography, even for couples together who say, I want to watch it with you, that's still wrong. Um, Pornography in itself is an evil industry. It involves people sinning. To watch it would be supportive of that sinning. God does not want us to lust. Think about that. If I'm going to get excited to make love to my wife by watching other people make love, I mean, could you tell your grandma that you were doing that? So you can't tell Jesus you're doing that. All right, that's not okay, even if you're both consensual about it. Pornography is an evil that God does not love. In fact, the word for sexual immorality in Greek is pornaya. It literally starts with P-O-R-N. Pornaya. So that's immoral to God. That's a no. Now, other things. There's a whole bunch of things the Bible doesn't speak about where if it wasn't involving lust over someone else, that's the thing that's clearly forbidden in the Bible, there seems to be some freedom for Christians. So the question would be that every husband and wife would have to talk about, and I'd really encourage you couples to do this, like communicate. Um, Sometimes people don't realize they can talk about sex, and it's okay. (laughs) You can talk about what you're interested in, what you're into, what you're comfortable with, and what you're not comfortable with. Um, I think a a couple should just have a maturing love life where they communicate about things, they figure out what feels good to both of them, and then they work on serving each other in humility and love. So I wouldn't say like, no, you can never use that stuff or no, you couldn't do this. Like as long as you're not lusting after other people, as long as just you with your spouse in the marriage bed, there's a whole lot of freedom. Have a whole lot of fun. Read the book of Song of Songs. It, it is surprisingly creative about sex. It seems to talk about like a woman doing a strip tease for her husband. They're like flirting with flirting with each other in some pretty racy ways. And that was in the Bible. It always has been in the Bible. So it's one of the books of wisdom. And it's like God saying, you don't have to be super strict and uptight when it comes to sex. It's biblical. It's good. It's complicated. It takes work. Uh, If you have questions about sex, I think we actually have two sermon series we've done on that. There's little books out in the entryway. One is called Sexpectations. And the other one is called Sex is Complicated. And, uh, you can unpack all those passages in Song of Songs through the rest of the Bible. Um, and I really encourage couples to do this. This is, this is a huge issue for a lot of couples because a lot of us are different when it comes to our sexual desire. So it's a really important thing to communicate humbly with, 
you're going to mess up. You're going to have to forgive each other in all different ways. Leave porn out of it. Bring Jesus and his word into it. Have fun. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we're going to end. You're welcome. (laughs) That's that's how we're going to end. You remember that one service where we talked about sex toys? Yeah, that was, was, no, let's say the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Only at 92 Ministries. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we're not recording this. We are recording this. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for the question. I mean, I, I know that's a bit awkward and uncomfortable for some of you, but I think... You know, when I grew up in church, we didn't talk about pornography, and I got hooked, like, really young. I, I saw my first penthouse magazine when I was in kindergarten. This was pre-invention of the internet. The, the average kid today sees hardcore porn by age 11. 11, right? So I, even though it can be uncomfortable, I'm really grateful that all of you, you know, you don't storm out when you're angry because we, we want to be the kind of church where if if you're dealing with this like I was dealing with this we want you to know like God has a word to say about these things he has truth to guide you and he has forgiveness when you mess up so thanks for helping us ask uncomfortable questions open a bible and give some good scriptural answers